Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. Thanks, Sam. Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, I know it's been said a couple times, um, but my name's Sean. I want to say welcome. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. You'll usually, if you're new, you'll usually uh, see me up here about 12 to 15 times a year. You're going to see one of the elders or a guest speaker or someone like that. Um, if you are new, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to go right into it, but I've been trying to practice when I come up here uh, just a moment of gratitude for our congregation, and um, this morning, I, I really want to just give a shout out and a big thank you to those of you who greet. Um, now, here's why. Um, how many of you guys, if you can, raise your hand if you've been coming to Redemption Peoria for a year or less. Can you raise your hand real quick? A year or less, nice and high. So, just about half of the people in the room. So here's what's crazy about that is usually when someone comes to Redemption Peoria um, and they're like, man, no one's saying hi to me. Like nobody says hi to me. Well, here's the reality. Um, if you've been coming for like three months, you're the veteran. And so you come, and you're like, nobody's saying hi to me. We need you to go say hi to people. You're like, but I'm new here. It's like, no, nah, we're only like three years old as a church. So there really isn't like anybody old. Well, there's people, we got old people, Jim and stuff, but... <laughs> No, no, we don't, we don't have anybody who's been here that long, right? And so um, uh, the greeters are huge, right? You, some of you volunteer, you get here early, um, you guys pray together, get to know each other, uh, what's going on, and then you put the smiling face on, and I don't think it's fake. I know pretty much all of the greeters. I know some are in tough spots, but there's a genuineness to where they are and saying hi and good morning to you. So thank those of you guys uh, for, for, or thank you to those of you who greet um, I know it's a, a sacrifice. You're getting up a little bit earlier on one of your days off. So uh, myself, the elders, leaders, we really do appreciate it. Anyway, don't applaud. That's cool. Um, so here's, we're just the worst at clapping. Um, anyway, I got many thoughts on that. I'm not going to share them now. Um, I do want to say this. Uh, last week we had talked about sexuality. And the reason I bring that up is because uh, I got a lot of questions. I know some of the leaders got a lot of questions, uh, follow-up stuff that they would love to uh, hear conversations be had and all that stuff. Here's what we want to put in front of you. You're going to see it in your bulletin and it's going to be announced again, but I just want to put this out because of the nature of last week's sermon. We're actually doing a class uh, next month taught by Richard Claus, who I always say is the smartest person in the room, which probably holds true right now. Um, uh, he's going to teach a class on like the beauty of sexuality, uh, the Christian ethic and where it is. So he's going to talk about transgenderism, homosexuality, where we are and all of that. You can sign up on that. Just go to, you can see the bulletin or you go on our uh, webpage, scroll to the bottom. You'll see uh, some of the classes that you can sign up for. I highly encourage if you're processing what uh, we were talking about last week and you still have tons of questions, that's going to be a good class for you to follow up on as the elders. We trust Richard. Uh, he's money in those areas. So anyway, 
Um, let me pray for us, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, we got uh, a few verses to cover, but I, w- I want to catch us up as to where we are. So let me pray first. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace towards us. We are, um, and we're super excited that um, we get to continue to be in Ephesians and you teach us. We're super excited that um, you've continued to walk us and transform us and um, sanctify us in our theology through the book of Ephesians. Thank you for that. Uh, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's where uh, I'm going to start, um, and something I've been saying a lot, but the, lot, the back half of Ephesians is the how to do the first half of Ephesians. That's, I'll keep that real short and simple, okay? We're in the back half of Ephesians, and everything that has been talked about in the back half of Ephesians thus far has been centered, or the engine has been, this idea that you were an old man, your old person, who you were before Jesus Christ, needs to be taken off. There's, there's ways that you saw life. Those things need to be removed, and you need to put on new things. And we've talked about lying, how to control your anger, stealing, kind of base things. Honestly, if you're a parent, things you teach your kids as you continue to raise them. And last week we talked about sexuality and how we're to process that and the things that are not for us and the things that should be for us and the things we are to avoid, so on and so forth. Well, as that kind of mini little sermon uh, uh, begins to wind down, we're going to pick up with a different analogy. Now, before we get into the analogy, there's, um, there's some things that we need to talk about to help us get where we're going to understand this text, uh, specifically in our context, uh, in our culture. Here's what I mean. Um, We're going to talk about light and dark, and and the reason that's important is it's an idea that as Christians we know, but all the while, I think there's an undertone that needs to be addressed that all too often, I know I'm seeing it, and I'll be honest, I think I'm doing it, I really find myself doing this sometimes, that I'm so scared to be associated with like people who, the Westboro Baptist people, or somebody who just draws lines, and you're like, I don't like that. That sometimes I find myself, and I've seen the church finding themselves, associating with the world, meddling in the world, so they can almost be seen as insiders. I mean, the language that we see sometimes is almost that we can make Christianity palatable, water it down enough to where it's cool, and we can mess ourselves into the world. And the problem with that is that is no, there's no form of that in the New Testament of Christianity, whether it be the very way that we're to walk our lives out is always going to be foolishness. Our cross embrace life is always going to be foolishness to those who are perishing, according to 1 Corinthians 1.16. According to Romans 12, which we're not even to conform ourselves to the patterns of the world. And all too often, we are doing exactly that, but we're almost trying to do it in a hoodie, covert-like. And maybe somehow, if I can be an insider acting the way that they act, then, then um, they'll see me, they'll, we'll, I'll engage conversations, and I'll kind of I'll dismantle the thing from the inside. And that's not the template that the New Testament gives us. As a matter of fact, yes and amen, we're to be in the world, but we are to have such an obviously different way of doing life that people are to look, and hear me, this is important, we don't like this language, there isn't us them. And man, I know we don't like that language, but there is a where we stand, who we are, and where they stand, and where they are. Now, if you're not a believer in here, my hope would be you hear me say that, and you would know, in the same way you believe what you believe, you're set on what you're, you're set on, and that, that determines your worldview, determines where you're going in your life, my hope would be that you would at least appreciate that we're doing the same. Right? So, so this pushes against this coexist model. 
And to be honest with you, even with the coexist model, most of the religions and the symbol and that silly bumper sticker, it, it, the irony of it is you talk to most of those religions, they're going, no, we ain't the same. So, so, so he, hear me when I say this. Um, yes and amen to having non-Christians friends. I mean that. Like, love people who are not believers. Be in relationship with people who are not believers. Be in their homes and have dinner with them. You're going to work with them. You're going to go to school with them. Yes and amen. Here's the problem, though. You can continue to have peripheral things in common, but the core of who you are, if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ, will never be the same. It won't. What drives you, and I mean that, what drives the way you view sexuality, money, parenting, you may arrive at, at some of these same conclusions, but you're not the same. So, for example, um, uh, I'm trying to be a monk over the last three years, so I've really taken on gardening. Terrible at it, but I'm trying to take it on. And as I've taken on gardening, I've joined, like, Facebook groups, right? So I'm on these groups, and hear me. This is what's crazy. Watch this in layers. All of us on the Facebook group don't want to suck at gardening. We all want to have good gardens. Below that, we all want to, for the most part, want to have gardens because we want to grow our own food. We want sustainable living within our own small properties that we have. So we're all similar on that. Below that, we might even, most of us might even agree because we feel like a lot of the ways that food is being brought to the tables predominantly in American society is not really right. And we want to be able to grow our own food in the right ways. And so there's an undertone of even deep convictions. But check this out. Why I even want to do that, why I think the earth should be taken care of, why I think my body or my family's body should enjoy or have a certain type of food different than pesticide-filled food, different reasons, all these things, why that is there is different than most people on that Facebook group. So yes and amen. Like we're there, we're together. we We have this commonality. But hear me, there's a vastly different way of viewing how we get there. And that's just true. As we see the New Testament of Christians in general, the way that you do school, the way that you do anything that you do, um, believers are light and non-believers are darkness. You don't believe me. Let's look at it. Verse seven. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That's going to require a little bit of explanation, obviously. Um, So therefore is based on the fact that last week, as we kind of wrapped up the conversation on sexuality, we were told um, in summary of not just sexuality, but lying, anger, all these things prior to this, um, as we look backwards, it's for these reasons that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Again, read it again. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Uh, so the word partner here, um, I want to just be clear because I, th- I think this is a little bit trippy. It gets back at um, why I'm talking about why I set up the way um, I did is because this idea of partner some, can be used like it's been used almost as dating or business partners. And I, I, man, I don't think this passage directly is talking to that. Here's what's crazy. That word partner only appears like four or five times in the New Testament. And one of the times, the other times it appears is actually in chapter three, verse seven. And when it appears there, it's actually describing Christians. Now here's the context of what it was in chapter three. It's saying there are some Jews, some Gentiles, some slaves, some free, some artists, some athletes. You're all across the spectrum. But even though that's true, there's this gamut array of what you look like out there at your core, your partners, you're in this together. 
So now hear this. This is, this is why I started the way that I did. It's, it's flipping as we hit chapter five. It's taking that same idea and flipping it. So it's saying you can have a friend. You can have many friends, many friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members that you can have all the outside peripheral type things on the outside in common. You can have those things in common, but you can't have the core in common. And now he's taking that idea and he's saying, as, as believers, or sorry, as uh, non-believers, you can have all those things in common, yes and amen, and, and here, uh, for, for us as believers, we're partners, but he flips this idea in going, essentially, as Christians, we're going to have the core, but man, we're going to have a lot of things not in common. So let me give you an example. Um, uh, yesterday, uh, the Myers community, our community, we went up to Fossil Creek for the day. Left early in the morning, came back at night. Fossil Creek's awesome. If you've never been, it's, it's great. And we've kind of made this tradition at, on our driving back. <clears throat> um, it's only the second year, but hopefully it doesn't continue. But we've, we, we've uh, on our way back, we we've, uh, stop at the, the pie place. What is it, Kenneth? Rocky, Rocky Springs? Rock Springs pie. You ever been there? Okay. Let's get it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Some serious pie out off there on the 17, just randomly, like just a cafe, someone's selling turquoise jewelry, and heaven-made pie, just like right there, okay? So we go in there, we just, we get some pie, right? And now Nate Zimmerman, who is a member of the congregation here, um, I've gone with him each time we go, and uh, he wants to stop in there. And so last year, he got these, um, they have in there not just pie, but they have like, um, I don't know canned peaches, like all the stuff that's fresh. And one of the things they have is pickled eggs, hard-boiled eggs that are pickled. And when he first did it, I was like, dude, let's do this. Like, I don't know why. Maybe I was just hungry, drank too much water at fossils. Like, I don't know what happened, but I was like, I want to try this. This is last year. I ate this egg, and I honestly forced myself to continue to chew. I was like, I, this is the most disgusting thing ever, okay? Now, he continued to enjoy it, and as he enjoyed it, he'd bring it home. Titus enjoys it, which something's wrong with my son. Um, okay, so, so we go again this year, and again, he gets another thing of pickled eggs. Now, hear me. Nate and I are completely different on this pickled egg thing, okay? I think he's disgusting. So is he disgusting for eating pickled eggs? Yes. Is he, is he not a believer? Like, does he lose his salvation because he enjoys pickled eggs? Also, yes. Okay? Now, now, hear me. Let's just assume he is a Christian, okay? And he likes pickled eggs, right? The, 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 him, his, um, man, his hobbies, the things he loves to do, all the things that he loves to enjoy, including pickled eggs, though we may differ in that, what drives who we are is the same. This is true. Last week I went to Anthony Kerber, who again is a guy in our congregation. He just started a diesel, diesel shop, uh, fixing diesel engines. And I go in there and it looks like a mess, right? But I'm watching him put this stuff together. <laughs> One, I'm thinking I could never do this, but I'm seeing it. I'm going, dude, you're gifted. But hear me, he's in a hot warehouse and there's, he, I want no part of doing what I, I have no desire to sit and work on a diesel engine for eight hours a day. But hear me, he loves it. He loves it. And he may look at the things that I'm doing and he goes, dude, I don't know why you would want to run the Grand Canyon or play basketball or garden, but I love it, right? I love it. And so there's different, but hear me, what drives Nathan Zimmerman, what drives Anthony Kerber, what drives Sean Myers, though the outside things are not the same, hear me, we are partners in the faith. We, we, we continue to live life from a, the same worldview, hear me. We cannot do that with non-believing friends. We can have the peripheral things together. We can love the same things together. But the driving force of who we are is not to be the same, 
do not partner with those who are the sons of disobedience. That's when we hear the word partner. Going back to chapter 3, that's what we get. And then it says this, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time, <coughs> excuse me, but for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Um, as you're reading that, something might stick out, which is pretty interesting. It's not like, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in light. Notice the identity there. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, which is interesting. And light and darkness is, is pretty crazy. I don't want to break it down in a second. But man, I would argue that overall, um, if you guys have ever heard of uh, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, like there's something the way that we're wired that... Um, in, in our very human DNA that we like certain stories, like it's built into who we are. Um, and I would say that's pretty similar to the way that we view light and darkness. Very rarely are you ever going to find someone or a culture who goes, no, no, no darkness is good. Light is bad, right? Unless it's some kind of um, polemic or something uh, telling a story in the opposite direction. Usually what you're going to find in most human culture is just a natural understanding of even kids at an early age. They're scared of the dark. They're not scared of rooms full of light, right? Like, it's so light in there, right? They're scared of the dark, and there's a naturalness to, to how we're built. So let me just give um, um, some explanations why I think this verse is important, because we've heard ourselves using, like, we're a, a light, a city that's on a hill. We've heard all these things before, but just a quick, like, systematic theology for us to understand light. So let me start first. I got a few verses for you. In uh, 1 John chapter 1, Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It says this. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. Okay? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In Greek, it's literally like, no way. Like, it, he's light, and him, in him is darkness. It's not even, like, worth talking about. That's, that's a, it's a firm, like, there's no darkness at all in God. Now, if we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So let's just start with an undertone. Here's what we have. We, as Christians, believe we follow God who is light. In James 1, there's no variation or shadow of turning. In the book of Revelation, we don't need the sun anymore because eventually he will light all where we are. He is light. He's light. Now, if we are believers and we're walking in darkness, then we are not children of light. We are not of that light. Now, here's why this is interesting. In John chapter 1, different than 1 John chapter 1, obviously. In John chapter 1, listen to this, verses 1 through 5. The beginning, I guarantee most have heard, if you grew up in church or familiar with church at all, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is beginning to talk about Jesus, and there's lots to unpack here that we can't do right now. All things were made through him, talking about Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, this is key here. In him, Jesus, was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or could not comprehend it. Now, here's, here's the picture that we get painted. From the beginning of the Bible, we have God the Father interjecting light into darkness to create life. You understand? That's how we read Genesis. No matter how you read Genesis, you're, you're seeing it, that there is darkness, chaos, nothingness. God interjects light, and in interjecting light brings about life. 
In the same way that was physically true, that's exactly what Jesus has done spiritually. He has entered into spiritual darkness and brought light. And in bringing light, he brings life. His light is life. This is why in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, and hear me, this is good, but will have the light of life. So here we go. Let's try to work through all this. Jesus now is spiritually the light, which brings life. The thing is, in verse 5 of John, chapter 1, not 1 John, chapter 1, it says the light shines. Have you ever stopped to think about that for a second? The light shines. That's, that's weird. The light shines, not shined. Jesus is, Jesus is dead. He, he died. Physically, he's no longer here on this, the, the, the earth. The, the light and everything else you're going to read as we go through John begins to talk about this past. It's talking about it in the, pre, the past tense, but not here, not verse 5. The light shines. Jesus' light continues to shine. Now, how does it continue to shine? Because whoever is following Jesus and has the life of Jesus is the light of Jesus. You and I continue to shine. We are the light of God. We're not just in the light of God, but we are the light of God. And we have the life of Jesus everywhere that we go. So when we read the statement again, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Again, let me, let me uh, uh, read this verse uh, uh, 12 of chapter 8 in John. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is how we are the light of God. This is how we are children of light, because we follow the person who is light. In him, we are light. Now, it goes on to say this. Can I just say something too, real quick? Um, again, another disclaimer. If you're not a believer in here, and, and I'm assuming there are some of you who are still processing Christianity, my hope would be that you don't hear what I just said um, and assume that means sinlessness. Um, I hope you would know that our worldview, or at least the worldview we would want you to know we believe in, is one that we recognize that we are absolutely sinful. We have sinned and we continue to sin. But the only reason we're pure, holy, light, is because we're too weak to do it on our own. So don't hear arrogance. Don't hear bravado or strength. No, hear me. Hear weakness. We're not strong enough. And this isn't a shot. You think you're strong enough right now. You think you're strong enough to be righteous enough before God. Hear me. We don't think that. We've given up on that a long time ago. As a matter of fact, what 1 John goes on to say is if we say we have not sinned, we call God a liar. So part of being in the light is embracing the fact that we're broken. We cannot do this on our own. And God uses us broken, feeble vessels of clay as beams of light. And you go, why? I don't know. But read the whole Bible. He's doing it all the time. Through men who stutter, through men who whine, through men who cheat on their wives over and over and over again. So let's move on. Next part of the verse. In uh, light of the fact that, oh, pun intended, uh, not intended. Uh, uh, in, in reading what we just read in verse 8, at the back of 8, it says this, right? It gives this imperative, tells us what to do. Because it's true that we are uh, light in the Lord, time we have 22, um, that we are light in the Lord. It says this, walk as children of light. 
So because we are the light of the Lord, everything that we just brought, brought, uh, came through in our systematic theology of light, a brief systematic theology of light, because that's true, hear me, back to believers, I'm talking to Christians right now, you need to walk in the way in which he has made you. You are children of light. You are the light of the Lord. Hear me, be that. Be that. That is different than darkness. That is different than all other false lights. Be the light of the Lord. Now, if you would wonder, okay, well, how do I do that? Uh, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us three things in parentheses in the next verse. For the fruit of the light is all that is good, right, and true. Um, And unfortunately, because we live in a pluralistic uh, culture, um, anybody in here or anybody in our society can say they are doing what they believe is good, right, and true. And it's going to be a little bit different uh, for us to understand. And obviously, as Christians, we would say we would define that as the way that the Lord says is good, right, and true. But I want to come back to this verse and actually the next verse, which is 10, and says this. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So I want to stop. I want to come back to that. That we are children of light. We're to walk in all that's good, right, and true. And we're to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So let's just stop right there and breathe for a second. Okay? Thus far, what we have is a recognition that we are the light. We are light in a world of darkness. If you are a believer, you are a light. You are the light in a world of darkness. And we are to walk according to what we've been declared. Okay, there we are. Then it goes on to say this, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Bummer. Okay. So we thought maybe for a moment as believers, we can be the like total antithesis of what the best Westboro Baptist people are, right? We can like go swing the pendulum over here and go... Cool, I'm the light, I'm chilling, I don't got to do anything, I'm good. And, and immediately as we read the, the words, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, we go from avoidance to action. Immediately, being the light of the Lord does not just come with the privilege of being the light of the Lord, having your soul eternally saved, hear me, it comes with responsibility, And the responsibility of the light is to expose the darkness. Now, uh, when you read the word exposed, um, I'm sure that's probably the the big word we want to talk about. And this is hard because expose is uh, 95% of the rest of the time in the New Testament, it's translated as rebuke or correct. Which, if you're a believer and you know your Bible pretty well, becomes a little problematic because we would hold pretty fast and true to the idea that Christians should only be correcting or rebuking um, other Christians. Like, it's not even in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5. Like, if we were to try to do that to the world, we would have to leave the world. And so, what we find in the book of Jude, we find that God the Father will ultimately correct or rebuke or expose those who are not believers. We find in the Gospel of John that that's the reason Jesus came, is to expose those who are um, not believers. But what we find here is that believers are to expose those who are in darkness, expose um, all that's on the table that goes with the fruits of what darkness is. Now, um, 
that's difficult. Honestly, when I was reading, I was like, okay, I don't know exactly how to deal with this. Um, so to answer it, and I think I, I feel like I can, I can uh, walk us in the right direction. To answer it rightly, I want to jump to why we need to expose, okay? And then I want to actually talk about Ephesus uh, specifically. Look, look again, at, uh, we're at verse 11, end of verse 12. So, but instead expose them. So as believers in the light, we're to expose those who are in darkness. Uh, here's the why. For, or because. It can literally be translated bef- uh, because as well. For, it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So the reason we as believers are to expose what's going on in the darkness is because it's shameful to even talk about what the dark, what's going on in the darkness. That's like, so um, there's a lot of things we can process even in our own culture. I, I think um, like what's going on in the darkness behind the doors of apps or chats or whatever it is in, in areas of sexual morality meet group rendezvous, whatever it is, behind boardroom doors and uh, taking advantage intentionally of the poor and marginalized, behind abortion clinics of the murdering of children. These are all disgusting, shameful things. Shameful things. Things that um, when they come to light, even amongst the world, some people are like, wait a minute, how's that okay? It's shameful to even talk about those things. And the list can go on and on and on and on. But I, I want to maybe just stop and get a full, well-rounded view of how Paul goes about exposing the world in Ephesus itself. Because here's the reality. If you were with us in the book of Acts, this, you know this is not the first time that Paul writes to Ephesus or visited. He just randomly wrote a letter to somebody. He visited. He was in Ephesus. Matter of fact, three to four chapters in the book of Acts takes place in Ephesus. I want to go. Um, you could turn your Bibles there. And I don't know if we have it on the screen. But in Acts 19... Here's the account um, of one of the, the, the uh, moments where Paul is in Ephesus and he exposes what's going on in Ephesus, okay? And there's kind of a, a, a domino effect that I want you to see. So Paul goes into Ephesus, he sees the fact that the Ephesians worship Artemis and he begins to call out, that's wrong, that's not okay. So hear me, he exposes what's going on and, and the reaction to it is just chaos. Listen to this. In verse 23, we get insight as to what exactly happened with Paul exposing the idols in Ephesus. It says this, about that time there arose no little disturbance, so a great disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made uh, silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business, so brought great business, to the craftsmen. So uh, Demetrius is part of something that would be called guilds at that time. So there's this group of people, these guilds who are metal workers, woodworkers, whatever it is. He brings all these people together um, uh, who are making all these different shrines. So he gathered together uh, with workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And we see and hear that uh, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has uh, persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not God. So stop. He's like, we've got to stop this. We're making money. This is our job. Paul's come and said, our job, the thing that we're doing is wrong. And the gods that the people are buying shrines from us that we say exist are not gods at all. Paul is calling a spade a spade. He's calling it what it is. He goes on to say this, verse 27. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, uh, uh, disrepute, uh, 
but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. And then verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Here's the first thing. We don't know exactly what Paul said in Ephesus. We don't know how the details, but here's the first thing that we could know. He was clear. He was clear. So, man, it's tough to maybe process what it means to expose those who are in darkness, who are darkness, who are children of the darkness, children of disobedience, who are, who are walking in a way that's counter to the gospel. Hear me, you're not doing anyone any justice when you're not clear. When you are asked, and, and again, it's so easy to, to uh, throw arrows at you know, these TBN preachers at times, but it was, it was so disheartening on Larry King. This is probably five or eight years ago. I don't remember how long it goes, but when Joel Olstein was on Larry King, Larry King and he asked uh, Joel Olstein, he said, so is Jesus the only way? Can you only get to heaven through Jesus Christ? And hear me, I don't know Joel Olstein. He may love the Lord. I have no idea, right? Don't really love the title of his books, but he is what he is. Okay. And here, here's his answer. His answer is one like, well, that's how he said, well, I mean, And for about three minutes, he dances around why it could be possible or not possible that you could be a believer. He's not here to judge. Hear me. He's not clear. Artemis is a false god. Artemis is taking money from you. This guild of people is stealing your resources. Let me be clear. You are following a demonic power. Let me be clear about this. And this is what Paul does. He's clear. Now, Emily Dickinson would say, let's do that truth at a slant. You don't meet your coworker the first day of the job. Hey, how are you? My name's Sean. How long have you been working here? Three years. Are you a believer? No. Okay, well, you're following demonic powers then. Okay? There is an approach to this, and let me prove it to you. Back in chapter 14 of Acts, as Paul is preaching, Paul and Barnabas are preaching, At this point, um, it's in Lystra. They think that Paul uh, and Barnabas are Zeus and Hermes. And in that moment, because they can't see the light, what we know throughout the whole New Testament is this throbbing of how much Paul loves the Gentiles. How much he is called to the Gentiles. How much he cares about the Gentiles. And it breaks him so bad that they can't see what he's trying to put in front of them. He rips his clothes And so couple this with the idea that Paul is clear as to where he is as a believer. He is clear in exposing darkness, but the undergirding tone of it all is desperate love. He loves them. And and this, hear me, um, when we look at people, whether it be the, the buffoon on first Friday telling people things that we just would disagree with for all day long, there are moments where you hear and you go, what he's saying is true, Kind of, but nothing, like the tone behind, like, no. Like, like, yes, it's true that if you are following demonic powers, you're going to hell. But man, if you don't love that person, be careful. Like how you present that, like for them not to hear it, if it's not coming from a place of love, and I think this is what Paul does perfectly, which if you take this clarity, we are clear with where we stand, and we love the people that we're trying to be clear with. 
ultimately we end up getting to what is exposing. Now here's the problem. I think some of us are interjecting the way that we view expose and the meaning thereof. So I think we're hearing um, expose and we're hearing ruthlessness. And I don't think that's at all what exposing is meant to be. Even amongst believers, the goal is not to be unloving or ruthless. Even when this word is used amongst believers, it's meant to be done in love that we would restore that person. And so as we talk to non-believers, it's far less of a video game and far more of a chess match. Like to take time, to, to be loving, but hear me, all the while to get to checkmate. Uh, let me read uh, from um, a guy named Bruce Shelley. And I read this actually when I went through the book of Acts um, in, in this part uh, when we were in Acts 19, uh, but I think it's so great. It's, it's from his book, my favorite church history book. It's so simple. It's called Church History in Plain Language. Um, and, and this is what he says. Simply by living according to the teachings of Jesus, the Christian was a constant unspoken condemnation of the pagan way of life. It was not that the Christian went about criticizing and condemning and disproving, nor were they consciously self-righteous and superior, It was simply that the Christian ethic itself was a criticism of pagan life. Okay, so let's go all the way back to the Beatitudes, and this is where we can start to wrap this thing up. Jesus tells us not to hide our light. And this is where I think exposing can come in. Hear me. If you're operating differently, your core is different, your drive, your worldview, your life is different, by nature and being light you will expose all other false gospels. You will. And sometimes that's indeed the way that you're doing your job. Yes, I think sometimes we swing the pendulum to that too far there. But sometimes also it's in word. The way that you go, help me understand why you continue to go back to him. Help me understand why you do it that way. Why do you think, like, I'm, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. And your way of life by nature will expose them. Hear me. What Jesus tells you not to do is hide that. Don't hide that light. Don't be ashamed of that light. Hear me like, and this is so tough sometimes because it feels like you're being a jerk or, or like you're being the, the Westboro Baptist people. You're, hear me, it's not true. You have something beautiful. You have a poetic way in which God has designed the world that you are living into. You are true humanity, true human flourishing. You are light. And when you water that down, when you hide that, when you put a lampstand over it, when you, when you um, act like that's not true, you're doing no one any favors. You're not even living to the fact that you should be exposing them all for this purpose. Listen to where he goes eventually into Acts 26, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Man, may that be true. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Your drive at your core in these beautiful relationships is to get them to know Jesus. We're not philanthropists. We're not. Our drive is different. Though we want human flourishing, we may view it differently. We want people to know Jesus Christ. We want the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. And then it makes this declaration, and this is where we start to uh, wrap up. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
I mean, in like the simplest terms, just think about it. And this is, I mean, Egyptians were doing this a thousand years before it's written, right? As light hits an object, um, even within pyramids or whatever it is, that light can then reflect, uh, light itself becomes light, which can become light to something else. And like the base, I don't want to overcomplicate this for the sake of brevity, at the, the, uh, the base of what we're trying to get at, get at is, as you live this way of light, you expose where they are in darkness. They hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They then in turn become light. They step out of the darkness. No longer they in darkness. You've exposed them. Now they're not just naked and bare exposed. No, now in that moment, they themselves become light. So um, I said I wanted to come back to discerning, and, and, th- and this is um, where I'm going to pray. I wish um, there was a rubric sometimes that Jesus gave us. I wish there was like a fifth gospel that just like, okay, everything I set up to this point, here's exactly what you need to do. In 2018, you're going to live in Peoria, and this is exactly what you need to do. But he doesn't. And, and, and it would be helpful to, if there was ways to teach us and how to be nurses and teachers, classmates, dads, moms, husbands, wives. It, it would be super helpful. But man, there's no rubric for that. And so I want to go back to verse 10. How you live on mission as children of light, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let this be balm of your soul. Man, sit, pray, and discern. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In the moment, remove yourself, John three thirty, that you would decrease. And then as he increases, you're discerning. You're walking into your classrooms. You're walking into your work. You're walking into your homes. You're walking into your neighbor's house. You're going about and you're discerning what is pleasing to you, God, here. What is pleasing, which means you're in constant communication with the Spirit, which means it's a constant every single day relationship, every moment relationship. Hear me, that's Christianity. And over and over again, you're constantly discerning, God, what is pleasing to you here? And hear me. If you discern that it is not pleasing, don't do it. If you discern that it is pleasing and it is good and it is right and it is true, then do it. That would be the W. If we can get there, that would be the W. And I wish there was some way that I can give you the list, but I can't. So hear me. I leave us with what Paul gives us. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You're the light of the world. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for the imperatives of telling us not to partner. Thank you for telling us that. It's very helpful in our lives. Thank you for telling us to walk as children of light. It's extremely helpful and it's a good reminder. Father, thank you so much that um, you've called us to not partake in the unfruitful works of darkness, but then also another imperative, and it's tough to expose expose false worldviews, to show the demonic powers for what they are. They only bring death. Thank you for that. We love you. We praise you. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.